Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. At 17.30 GMT, this is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Nashika Caesar. And coming up over the next 90 minutes, the price of fuel appears to be the most uncontrollable of the economic challenges as diesel sells for 23 cities per litre and petrol climbs to 18 cities at the pumps. The MPA appears helpless. The prices are beginning to come down. Because this window in which we are, we saw a reduction in petrol. As the NPA CEO, who spoke some time back, will be hearing from the National Petroleum Authority tonight here on Eyewitness News. Also coming up, Ghana's 55-year-old aluminium smelting plant, Valco, shut down again. This time, because young workers in the company want the old and retired workers to go home. And later on Eyewitness News... There will be a barber of a sort, but that barber will be scampedity of a sort barber. Whether it affects domestic investment or domestic instrument, we are giving you only 14 days from today. To get a haircut on your investments or not, the minority says it would happen in 14 days from now, despite the emphatic position taken by the government on the matter. Stay with 97.3 CTF for more on this and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business... The Ghana Union of Traders Association calls for the enforcement of investment laws to curb the high rate of importation of goods. That's Netili Neti of the City Business Desk with the world's latest business news here on Eyewitness News. The show is live across the globe on citynewsroom.com. Around Ghana, we are on a number of affiliate stations including... Nobia FM 98.1 in Nalerigo. We are also in, in Upper West on Ganga 94.3 FM in Jirapa. If you go to the Upper East region, we are on Quality 88.7 FM in Garu. Radio Gaki on 88.3 FM in Saboba in the Northern region is carrying this broadcast for you. If you go to the Volta region, we are on Heritage 107.3 FM in Hohe, Freedom 88.1 FM in Suga Copper. If you go to the Ashanti region, we are on Adrinpa 99.9 FM in Inkawia in the Bono region. We are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. And in the Western region, we are live on Adrinpa 100.7 FM in Takwa. In Takradi, we are on two stations, including Beach 105.5 FM and Sky Power 93.5 FM. Let me know what you make of the big stories we are bringing you tonight. On WhatsApp, the number to send your message to is 0549-986-996. Let's settle for details of our stories now. And the first one has to do with how much you pay at the fuel pumps effective today. Now, diesel has gone up to 23 cities. If you went to the pumps to buy fuel today, and uh, petrol is at 18 cities also. Now, this is the latest in the announcement uh, that has come up here uh, in the Republic of Ghana following the challenges with the 
economy. Nashika has a story for us. Right, Sander, the National Petroleum Authority, NPA, has announced a suspension of the subsidy on the residential residual fuel oil effective today, the move. The NPA explains is in line with a a directive from the Ministry of Energy as part of efforts to ease the financial burden on the price stabilization recovery account. Indeed, and that's just a fallout uh, that we'll be hearing about, a decision that has been taken by the National Petroleum Authority. But first, Nashika, tell us about the the hike in petroleum products and what the NPA has been saying on that. The National Petroleum Authority has explained that all marketing companies have been given room to continually increase prices at the pumps in order to avert a shortage of petroleum product. Fuel is currently selling at a minimum of 17 cities, while diesel sells at a minimum of 22 cities for the first pricing window of November. However, some oil marketing companies adjusted their prices even before the pricing window. In an interview with City News, the Director of Communications at the NPA, Mohamed Abdul Kudus indicated that the oil marketing companies were left with no options following the constant depreciation of the Ghana city. Given the fact that the products are actually bought from the, um, the world market in dollar, anytime the dollar changes, it affects the character of the pricing. And so, um, yes, we ought to have been operating with the two-window framework or two-weeks window framework. But because of the volatility of the CD against the dollar and the fact that you ought to be guaranteeing a certain return on investment from the end of the supplier, you ought to be a little flexible with what previously uh, was established or has been established to be the, the, the windows within which the prices are supposed to vary. So, yes, we saw prices go up within the same window more than once. It is basically the case of um, the behavior of the CD and the dollar and the need to protect the investment of the supplier. Right. Before we go into the various variables, I mean, the components itself, i.e. the world market prices, the depreciation of the CD and the taxes and the levies, mm-hmm. a quick observation we made. Um, I mean, I'm bringing this in because you mentioned the two pricing windows mm-hmm. where some OMCs uh, really um, made the adjustments before the pricing window. Mm-hmm. Some also delayed, made the adjustments after the two pricing windows. Mm-hmm. Did this observation come to your notice and what's your take on this? Yeah, so like I said, yes, the observation, we actually made the observation and um, the economic regulation department that primarily is um, charged with the responsibility of regulating how the prices are determined equal, equally took notice of, of, of same. But like I said, because of the volatility, if we wanted to um, get the players to stick to the two window, two weeks window um, um, benchmark that we've actually put in for ourselves. What it means is that we might be experiencing some shortage because some of them might not be able to go and bank the product. 
but we needed to first of all guarantee the availability of the product in the market and in guaranteeing that we ought to situate what is it that is affecting their pricing then we'll be able to agree whether they should go by it or not to go by it so yes it came to our notice yes we knew that the two window um, virtually has not been strictly followed but uh, seized by the factors that was informing their pricing were sure and confident that nothing was being done on toward mm. because primarily the act says that we should protect the investment of the suppliers we should uh, protect the expected revenue that is supposed to go to government and we should protect the customer from being overcharged that's uh, mohammed abdul kudus is director of communications at the national petroleum authority let me say that um, over the past few months, uh, we've not been successful in hearing from the CEO of the NPA himself on these matters. A lot of the times, uh, this is deferred to the technical team and the communication team at the NPA to speak to us. Indeed, when our team went to the NPA today, uh, they managed to speak to Mohamed Abdul Kudus, uh, who has given this clarification. There's more from what he's been saying. I'll be sharing that with you. But let me just uh, quickly go on the phone lines and speak to someone who understands our energy sector more than many, former CEO of the Volta River Authority, Dr. Charles Rekubrobe. He joins us on the line. Doc, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. I, I believe we are almost sounding like a broken record now, but speak we must, and that's because I'm not sure petroleum doesn't uh, like noise either. But what seems to be the problem aside the CD issue? Could it be uh, that the the war that is happening in Ukraine is still what is affecting us here? Or, like you have always been insisting, the government taxes ought to go so we can have reprieve at the pumps? Well, you put it, look, the real problem is the forex rate. Whether we should uh, uh, to come pay the day or what. If you bought fuel at the beginning of the year, you probably pay about five or six um, cities per liter. Nothing has changed, but because the exchange rate that is rated by over 100-200%, um, in dollar terms, maybe the cost is the same, but in city terms, you are paying two or two and a half, three times the price. Unfortunately, people here don't earn salaries that are dollar-denoted or dollar-linked. So it is really affecting the common person, but also affecting business, because we do not have river transportation. We do not have a well-developed railway network all over the country. So everything moves by road. So you cannot expect that I may go to Umaru's hometown and buy some tomatoes there very cheaply and ferry to Accra at these very high, very expensive fuel costs and still be able to sell it at, at a very cheap rate. Um, unless we are really prepared to un- accept that transportation and therefore fuel costs at the pump, it's what drives this economy then we are going to live with inflation and the like for many, many more years. Okay. But apart from the... Mm. Go on. You, you land, you land. No, you will go on. Because you're going to say that aside that, which means you're going to yeah. add something. I said apart apart from that, there, there, were, there were other things you wanted yeah, to do. At the moment, you know, there is a, a kind of uh, uh, a jungle market going on in the, in the fuel pricing. 
And this, no, is, this is a global uh, jungle market, not local, right? No, no, I'm talking about local jungle market. Deregulation works because we have set up uh, <clears throat> windows by which uh, price changes will be announced. Uh, there are two changes for every month. But really more important than that, the MPA as a regulator is supposed to ensure that it announces what are called maximum retail prices so that no consumer gets cheated by oil marketing companies. Right now, it has reneged on its duty and given it to COPEC, which ironically is supposed to be interesting the representing the interest of consumers, but doesn't. It is now the chief cheerleader for marketing companies who just keep announcing prices nilly-willy. So even the windows have gone off. So people will announce prices uh, one week before a window, and then when the window comes, they will increase the price again. That's not the way we should, we, we, the regulation was set up. It just keeps piling the pressure on. Now, the reason why I say the Russia uh, Ukraine is not really a factor, yes, oil prices have gone up. But we also, as um, oil exporter, we do make windfall profits. We are set up to raise 100 CDs from our oil sales at $50. At now $900, we are going to get 200 uh, CDs. So there's windfall profit of 100%. If we are disciplined people and we cut the excess profit expenditure, we should be in a position also to use some of the windfall profit to moderate and stabilize petroleum prices so that there's certainty in what is going on. But no, it looks like people are only interested in how much revenue can be taken from the windfall profits and giving into um, government coffers, coffers because there is no stop on the excessive expenditure. So, yes, Russia Ukraine is causing the trouble. It's made global oil prices go up. But global oil prices, the problem is that the government passes on all the costs onto us consumers. So, prices are adjusted to reflect the current global oil prices. But the windfall profit, nobody wants to talk about it. And then somebody says, I feel your pain. You cannot feel the pain of Ghanaians when you run 60 strong SUV convoys to travel around the country. I, I get the point you're trying to make there. Let's return to the issue of deregulation. And I must admit that yeah. you are one of the brains behind deregulation. So I believe you understand it's better than everybody or anybody because you you started that whole idea however you may not be fair to the omcs when you say that they should just fold their arms and wait for a certain window to be announced at a certain time we i have think not changed the law. we have not changed the law yeah but we have we not changed the law but also no, don't please, forget please, it's, please, it's please, business please, isn't it we have a regulator i'm not you know, why is the regulator making sure either to change the law you see, because you, you don't know. Everybody just goes and says, I bought my dollars at such and such a price, therefore I can change my price. No, that, that, even in developed economies, there are, you know, trigger points and regulated areas. You cannot have a cowboy, I know you're a cowboy journalist, but you can't have a cowboy market in terms of, and call it deregulation. 
Yeah, but Doc, if it is an open free market, I have OMCA. But it is it... not supposed to be an open free market. That's why we said changes happen through okay. two windows. Doesn't deregulated mean? Doesn't deregulated mean the government doesn't have control on how much the you sell? The government does not have control, but the government gives a like guidance by saying that you cannot uh, because of these things. Um, the petrol must not cost more than this. Okay. But that look, if you own Tarzan fuel and the government says don't let petrol cost more than this, but you know how much you lifted it for and what the other charges there are on it, you no, can no, you, know, you, you can disregard the government and say, Listen, if I listen to the government's window, my business will collapse. No, we are in a jungle. Some may collapse. When we start deregulation, we used to take whole tenders for businesses to bid to supply to the MPA so that those who want the tenders were giving dollars by the Bank of Ghana to bring in the fuel. You've now got a free-for-all jungle where, you know, any two-by-four businesses says, I'm bringing in fuel for this and that and that. We cannot, you know, the interest of the consumers is paramount. And you cannot sit here telling me uh, OMC cannot... Uh, be, be bound by price, and then you spend hours on your radio and TV network talking about transport prices going up and there be moderation and the transport unions not, you know, why should they be bound by moderated prices when nobody is uh, moderating the, the, the rises in fuel costs? Okay, but, no, but, be fair. but I also still want you to appreciate the fact that this is someone's private business and that if that private business is affected private by... Private business, even in developed countries, works in under regulation. Are you, is it your suggestion free, that... Free, no, free, free for all is not means that everybody does what they want. Okay. Law and order, is, even in the... If you go to America, it is all private, but you have government agencies which set the contextual environment in which business is carried out. There's nothing like free for all, and I've gone and gotten my fuel, and therefore I can change prices any second and all of that. There is a law. If the law is not working, it should be tweaked. And I'm saying that when we started, it was very easy. You needed to do with two or three or four BDCs because they tended, and those who won were giving money to supply the fuel. You are not dealing with 36 all PVCs all scrambling to get dollars. It doesn't work like that. Doc, is it your suggestion... About 20 times... Mm. It's not a suggestion. I'm no, no, no let me put the question through. Is it your suggestion that currently, based on all the analysis on the ground, a liter of diesel should not cost 23 CDs and that this is because of perhaps profiteering by the OMCs? I have, I have not done any analysis, but I can tell you that what they are doing is that it's being priced by the most expensive um, dollar that is bought by an OMC. Not the most efficient, but the most expensive. You know, economists of scale suggest that if one BBC, which is well resourced, is going to supply a whole lot of fuel, it is bound to get at a cheaper cost, and it is, if it's then being held by Bank of Ghana, is bound to be at a better exchange rate. But right now what is happening is that you take the inefficient Omaru Standard Oil Company who buys from the 
Abushi at the black market. And then that becomes the rate at which the uh, uh, forecourt pricing is being done. Sorry. We really need to take, to take a handle on this. All right. I noticed, too, that you have a difficulty with the work NPA is supposed to do. Granted, but how can you control what you don't import and own? I mean, I mean, we have the, the, the bust there. Maybe we can dictate to bust what to be brought, who, how much it should be sold for, and maybe goil to, to, to a large extent. No, no, no. But no, 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 NPA, no. NPA, and for that matter, NPA the government of Ghana the, has no NPA control. Is the regulator, please. Mm. NPA, why do you call them regulators if they, no, if they, if they can't do anything? Then, then just dissolve them. Why call them regulators? They have to make sure that the interests of the consumer and the business are both protected. You can't have it one way. You can, I, I heard the tail end of your interview with somebody else who was throwing his hands up in the air saying, we can't do anything. Sorry. Then close that the regulation and let's stop pretending. Finally, uh, you are a statesman. You've listened to the president address a gamut of issues affecting the economy. I would just want to ask for your take before you let go of us. Um, yeah, I feel your pain. That was good. But there was nothing announced specifically to deal with easing of our pain. You are suggesting there wasn't anything in that speech on Sunday night. Well, I, you know, I, I, I was top pressy. I summarized it. <laughs> I'll let you leave it here. Thank you, Doc, for speaking to us. Okay. All right. Well. That was Dr. Charles Rikubrobe, uh, former VRA CEO, and uh, speaking to us there on specific issues relating to the petroleum downstream sector, how much we are paying for fuel, and why he thinks the NPA uh, could be the rescuer in this moment where he thinks that fuel stations are operating as though this was a jungle and unregulated uh, industry. Before him, we're listening to a submission made by Mohamed Abdul Kudus. He's director of communication at the NPA. He was speaking to my colleague Nanatu Forbuatin of the City Newsroom. Let's conclude and hear what his concluding comments are on the issues surrounding uh, fuel prices by the supplier and so we normally would be mindful of these variables and make sure that everybody stays within their line and everybody is satisfied at the end of the day so yes we are aware but we needed to uh, alert the situation be because of the exigencies of the times that we have found ourselves in is this sustainable and does this not create an avenue for some uh, for want of a better word unscrupulous OMCs to take advantage of i i i i suspect what we're seeing today is not going to be with us forever. It is just probably uh, a, a, a bad uh, a wind out there that is just blowing and it would go so that things would normalize. And to where we are able to guarantee a certain stability of the city, where the suppliers can have a certain predictability of uh, its character in future, then the two weeks window can't be brought back again. Like I said, it is not as though the two weeks window has been completely taken away, but it says that we are mindful of the exigencies of the time and then um, because, okay, so let me even give this information. Previously, they used to take the product literally on credit, right. then come back and pay for it. Mm -hmm. But now they are supposed to pay cash. And the cash is supposed to be benchmarked against the dollar. Mm -hmm. So at any time the dollar changes, the pricing changes. 
And if you don't allow them to reflect the change at the pump, they would be losing their investment. And when they are losing their investment, it means that they might be out of business. And when they are out of business, we will not have the product in their market to go and buy. For a lot of us, and I think that is the motivation of MPA particularly, it is better to have the product out there than not to have it at all and people would be scrambling for it given the very uh, uh, important role that we all know petroleum products play to the economy of ghana all right now let's look at the variables that we established earlier let's start off with the prices on the world market we all know what's happening globally but uh, let's look at the wti if my 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 worry or my observation is that when there is a drop in the wti it does not necessarily reflect at our pumps here. Could this be that that drop only offsets the depreciation of the CD here locally and therefore leads to a, an increase in the price? In fact, that's, that's an interesting one. I remember in a program that we had with um, journalists in who we actually went to have a sensitization on how pricing is actually arrived at and this same um, thing was actually um, asked whether we ever get uh, that's uh, Mohammed abdul kudus he's director of communications at the national petroleum authority and talking about the mpa it has made an announcement on the suspension of subsidy on residual fuel oil rfo effective first november 2022 the statement says the National Petroleum Authority, NPA, wishes to advise the industry of the suspension of the subsidy on RFO effective 1st November 2022 and to further notice. The suspension of the policy to subsidize RFO is in line with the effective is in line with directive from the Ministry of Energy as an interim measure to ease the financial burden on the price stabilization and recovery account. The policy directive takes into consideration the growing concern about the sustainability of the accounts to meet under-recovery payment obligations for premix fuel and RFO. You are hereby informed that the NPA will continue to compute and announce the price build-up of RFO for each pricing window, as it has always done to industry. Please take note of the above and be guided accordingly. That's a statement signed by Mustafa Abdul Hamid, PhD, Chief Executive of the NPA and is addressed to a number of other industry agencies in the petroleum downstream sector. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF and we are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. When we return, we'll go to Valco where workers there are divided. So there's a group of workers that uh, wants another group to go home. They say that this group that they're asking to go home uh, consists of members who are retired but still clinging on to uh, their offices, and this includes managers. If that would fail uh, to happen, the work would also fail to continue. They demonstrated yesterday. Today, the plant has been shut down. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We're broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. The big story we're bringing you tonight is that the price of petroleum products, um, diesel, has gone up to 23 CDs. And uh, petrol has gone up to 18 cities at the 
pumps and uh, we've been getting reactions to that. Your comments have been coming through. Honorable Adam Mutawakilo is former member of parliament for Damongwen, heavily involved in energy matters when he was in the House of Parliament. He sends a message and says, uh, the deregulation practice in Ghana is not total deregulation but price modulation. NPA therefore still sets the ceiling that petroleum prices should not exceed. He says NPA is to ensure that no OMC exceeds the ceiling price. So just uh, corroborating what Dr. Charles Rukubrobe uh, Tazan had said a short while ago. Uh, Benjamin Inashaman says, if our economic circumstances are dependent entirely on the vagaries of market forces and government obviously looks and sounds helpless, then trust me, given the opportunity, any Ghanaian can become president, BOG governor or finance minister without the need to possess any qualifications whatsoever. I'm so disappointed in our current national leadership. Master Paul from Boko says, isn't it clear now that the president and his so-called excellent ministers have lost the economic battle already? Can't they just do as the honest, uh, the honest by resigning so competent hands can take over the affairs of our country? Indeed, fewer too doesn't like noise. Hashtag eyewitness news. Christian Ameko from Kung says, please, what is really going on in the oil industry in the country? I have to finally park my car and trek. I can't even buy from the boys who sell at the roadside. Daniel Akpaliok from Sandema says, The manner in which uh, fuel prices are skyrocketing in the country is simply amazing. For how long can we continue to suffer economic hardship, high fuel prices and the galloping inflation? The economy of Ghana is now in a wheelchair. Government must do something to ameliorate this hardship. Baba Chairman in Tamale says, Times are really hard and uh, rough and tough. This is the time leadership must be shown. Ghanaians, by nature, are very accommodating and tolerant, and our leaders should not take these noble features for granted. But I believe these two shall pass. Zilis Duane in London says, What is the solution for the economic hardship? Always government blaming COVID and Russia war, etc. Disappointed in this government, they have failed us. Aziz Donla in Wa East says, The economic hardship in the country's real, the MP- MPA is indeed helpless, hence the increasing nature of the product. The four more we voted for, he says. Raphael in Jirapa in Upper West says, Good evening, Omaru. Nana Akufado in- needs to be shown the exit uh, with immediate effect. Just imagine 18 cities per liter at the pump. How did we get here as a nation? Daniel Atia from Dansoman says, Good evening, Omaru. The duty bearers must act on this uncontrollable fuel price before it gets out of hand. The hardship in the country is real. Let me know what you think as well. Send your message to 0549-986-996. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let me just share with you uh, some more on the situation with our petroleum prices, the product of uh, the petroleum product and how much we've been selling them or buying them at the pumps over the past few months. So the citynewsroom.com has done an infographic on the cost of fuel over the past few months from June till now. Uh, In June, we bought... um, So the first pricing window um, for petrol um, said it was... So a liter was to go for 10 CDs, 10 pesos. And then the second pricing window was 10 CD 99 pesos. So I'll use the second pricing window. In July, a liter of petrol cost us 11 CD 30 pesos. So in June, it was 10 CD 99 pesos. In July, it was 11 CD 30 pesos. In August, 
a liter of petrol was 11 cities, 15 pesos. In September, a liter of fuel was 10 cities, 95 pesos. So this reduced by 5 pesos. And then in October, it went up to 13 cities, 10 pesos. And now we are in November, and you've had the new figure there, 18 cities. So that is for petrol. Let's look at diesel. And uh, the price for diesel in June, diesel was selling for 13 cities, 50 pesos uh, per liter. In July, it climbed up to 13 cities, 95 pesos. In August, the figure went up to 13, actually reduced uh, to 13 cities, 46 pesos. In September, the liter of uh, diesel was selling for 14 cities, 50 pesos. In October, it climbed up to 15 cities, 99 pesos. And today... November 1st, it is 23 CDs, 49 pesos. That's how much a liter of diesel now costs. And a liter of petrol is 17 CDs, 99 pesos, which is a peso shy of 18 CDs. And a peso can't buy anything in the traffic at Kanishi First Light. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. Let's uh, move on to some other stories. It has to do with the Volta Aluminium Company, Valco. Nashika. The Volta Aluminium Company, Valco, has shut down its operations following agitations by its workers over their demands for a salary restoration equivalent to the dollar rate. Workers at Valco currently receive their salaries in dollars but are paid a CD equivalent. However, because the CD has depreciated drastically to the dollar, they want the company's management to peg their salaries to the dollar rate. We'll go to that story, but that will be after this break. Please stay with us here. This is Irene's News on 90. 7.3 CTFM. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. You're welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM Broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. My name is Umaru Sandamad here with Nashika Caesar. Let's go to Tema now and talk about Kwame Nkrumah's Valco. Edgar Tete is a union, local union chairman for the workers of Valco. He's joining us on the line. Mr. Tete, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Umaru. We'll talk about today, but let's talk about yesterday and the day before. Your people were demonstrating. What's the backstory? It was yesterday. It doesn't include the day before. Yes, our people expressed their grievance. The problem or the challenge is that we've had enough of the retirees. So we ask them to stay away because they have overstayed their years after pension. Why are we saying that they are becoming a burden to the company's finances? Yes, after taking whatever is due them to pension, they just return to come and take full charge of the topmost positions of the company, which in our view thinks that 
it should be positioned for the young and upcoming in the company. More so, they do not recognize the importance of human capacity. If I say human capacity, I mean the greatest asset of the company, which is the human resource. So we thought it wise that enough is enough. They should leave us and let us work. Falco is a scientific environment. It obeys principles. It is not an environment that we need the very old to come there to pour libation or do something else. That is what I mean. So yesterday, we asked them to stay away. And there is this miscommunication that yesterday we refused to work. That is a blatant lie. Some media houses have bought into this falsehood and have projected it. But I know CTSF. That is why I'm telling you that yesterday we went because we ran this rotating shift or we practice this rotating shift at any given point in time. Some workers will be off duty and others will be on duty. So we use the workers who were off duty to express Argument. So that is it, Mr. Omar. Yesterday, your demonstration, so you had a demonstration, but it was at the premise of your company. For how long did you do that for? It was for five hours. So it means you didn't work for five hours? That's what? Um, I don't uh, know. <laughs> maybe you did not hear what I said. No, I'm saying that you said some media houses have reported that you didn't work in. I'm just saying that if you spent five hours working, you may have worked at demonstrating. No, no, no. We would have been, at, those who demonstrated would have been at home resting. Oh, so you you you, you demonstrated in, in shifts. That's right. I see. Okay. You said that there are people who have retired and are there. About how many people are you talking about? The top management, they are 12. In, including which positions? The CEO is a retiree. The human resource director is a retiree. The personal relations director is a retiree. The head of ICT is a retiree. The head of logistics is a retiree. The head of maintenance, which we call Docs Engineering and Maintenance, DEM. We have two directors. They are all retirees. The head of cast house, he is a retiree. The one in charge of the store line is also a retiree. Alright, and uh, when you say they are retirees, how long ago since they retired? Let me mention the ages. The ages are between 64 to 68. So, you can assess it yourself. At 60, you go on pension. The president, and for that matter, the government has been extending or granting contracts to people who are retired, and this is provided under the law. At least they could have um, up to 65 years still working. Do you know whether or not they were not granted that special remedy, for which reason they are continuing to work? Beside the CEO, who said it verbally, that the government, has reappointed him. 
None of the names that I have mentioned has any document. Even the CEO's document, we are not privy to. So that is it. There should be a document to state that, yes, Mr. So-so and so has been re-engaged after pension for these number of months or these number of days. Not to talk about years. You get me right? I get you. So you are, how many people are demonstrating against these 20 something people? The non-management staff of Valco. We are about 500 to 600. 600 people demonstrating for the removal of 27 people. Yes. Yes. Because they are a burden on our finances. Have they responded to your, your accusations and claims at any forum? None that I know of. Who are you speaking with? The minister for the sector, or do you have specific people you are dealing with who are you yesterday, are asking to, to, to solve yesterday. your issues for you? Yesterday, the RESEC big men were in the plant. The police big men from Akra were also in the plant. So you, be, so you believe your story, your, your message has been delivered? Exactly. Or now NIB sent their representatives there as well. They've been there yesterday and today. We are told that uh, that 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 notwithstanding what you did yesterday, the plant itself was shut down today. Why? It wasn't shut down today. It was shut down yesterday. Is it still is it still closed or has been reopened? No, it is still closed. Why? And the power to the smelter has been detached or has been cut off. By who and why? Good. We got the information around 5 o'clock yesterday evening that the plants will be shut down. We went to the source of power. We call it rectifier station. The personnel over there told us that they had a call, and the caller asked them to shut the plants down. And they told the caller that, no, we don't do it that way. For us to shut the plants down or reduce amperage or increase amperage, it must come from the cell lines. Because the cell lines are those who handle the cells for the electrolytic process. So they will communicate to them before they do that. So they can never do that. And then the caller dropped the call. But before then, they asked, who is speaking? And the caller said, order from above. Whoever that person is, the caller couldn't identify. So Voaco has been shut since yesterday. Yes, please. The lights went off. 7.47 p.m. That is 17.47 GMT. Is your CEO aware? Yes. But it's still according not back on. You are still not back on. Yes. According to one of our directors, he instructed them to do that. What's the way forward? 
impressed upon the owners of the company, which is Ghana government, whose leader is His Excellency Nana Adudankwa Akufuadu, the president of the state, to help us to restore the power. Because Balco is a critical national asset. Not to talk about the money we are going to spend in bringing back themselves to life, we are also losing by the hour to the state. Because we all know that Falco now is 100% Ghana's property. It is a state-owned company. Uh, Edgar, what, what, when, when, I mean, I know you, you had had issues in the past. You recently resumed operations. When was that? We reduced the operation. Yes, it wasn't recent, some three, four years back. It was as a result of bad material and inappropriate managerial instructions. Will you continue to resist the, 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 the stay of these people that you have listed whom you want out of the company? Come again. These people you want out of the company, would you continue to call for their removal? And if they are not removed, what would yes, you do? Please. Yes, please. And if they are not yes. removed, what would you do? We will, we will leave it to the owners of the company. We have done our best. We want the sustenance and the continual improvement of Balco as a smelter. We know that it is only company in Ghana here that is a smelter. We know that it is around Balco that evolved the integrated aluminium industry, which Mr. President is so passionate about because of the resultant effect it's going to have on the economy of Ghana. Let's leave it here. Thank you so much for speaking to us, sir. You are most welcome, Mr. Omar Sanga. I appreciate thank it. So Mr. Edgar Tete, thank you. That's uh, Edgar Tete, local chairman of the Vaco Workers Union in Tema. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. Let's talk about haircuts now, not the ones you get at the barbers but rather the one you may get in your pocket or on your investment as a result of the IMF program. And I use the word me. But there's someone else who is not using me. That person is a minority leader. Nashika has a story. Right, the minority in parliament has hinted that government will announce a haircut on some investments within the next 14 days as part of its debt restructuring measures. President Okufado, in his economic recovery speech on Sunday, assured that government does not intend to slash the returns made on investment in its negotiations with the IMF. But addressing the media, the minority leader, Harun Idrusu, insists that there will be some form of cuts in investments. The president failed to accept responsibility. He is responsible for the sorry state of the Ghanaian economy and he is responsible for the ranch economy, which has consequences on livelihoods. Poverty has exacerbated. Costs of living have gone high. Costs of doing business high. 
many businesses are folding up. Some industries are now rerouting their investment into neighboring Ivory Coast and other countries because Ghana is no longer the investment haven as it should be. You heard the present state categorical that borrowing the highest in the last 50 years. What he failed to add and what he should have added is that I borrowed more than any other head of state and president in the last 50 years. The words of Tamale South Member of Parliament and Minority Leader the Honorable Haruna Idris. He's joined us on the line now. Let's speak to him. Honorable, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. The president was emphatic there will be no haircut. You are also emphatic there will be haircut, and you've even gone to give it a timeline of 14 days. What do you know? President Nana Adudankwa when he addressed the nation, was only candid in one instance when he said, and to paraphrase him, our economy is in crisis. Beyond that, he failed to accept responsibility for the reckless and irresponsible borrowing. You recall that a few months ago, Genevieve of the IMF had caused to tell Ghanaians and the world that they at the IMF had no problem with any policy of government. I disagree with her, and I disagree to the extent that borrowing is a policy, how much you borrow, for what purpose you borrow, how you direct the uh, borrowing investment is a policy. And therefore, if you have a president now tell the country that we've borrowed more than in the last 50 years, we've borrowed more, where that GDP is currently hovering between 91 to 105% from the World Bank record by end of year 2022, when you add contingent liabilities and others, it probably points to one irresistible conclusion that Ghana will necessarily undertake a debt restructuring plan. That, res that debt restructuring plan will amount to some barbering of a sort. And maybe that barber will be called Sikampitete Baba. But to say emphatically that there will be no haircut, in my view, is, uh, was being economical with what is, uh, should be sincere in the management of the economy. Our debt simply is not sustainable, and Ghana is debt distressed. Now, the IMF will not even ordinarily support any country which debt is not sustainable. And if you look at the numbers that the World Bank shares, unless you have a different number somewhere, our debt is hovering in the words of the World Bank, around 105% of GDP. You also heard President Nana Tutankwa say that uh, plans are afoot for us to work towards achieving 55% debt to GDP by 2028. I asked, where will he be? He certainly is at the sunset of his presidency in the next two years and the wee hours of his presidency. What he promises to do in the next two years, he just couldn't do in the last six years. So these contradictions must see somewhere. And I do not think that 
He has the trust of the public. My worry is that this is the first time we are seeing a president disrespect public opinion, and he does so at his own political peril and the peril of his political party. When the whole country is united, that add new impetus to your government, restructure the government, reduce the size of government, and on the reduction of size of government, I mean, one of you journalists must take this matter up. How much have we saved from the 30% salary cut from the president, vice president, ministers, and others? Woefully insignificant. Those are not the type of expenditure cut that will have a telling on increase and unacceptable government expenditure. If you reduce the size of government, we probably can make some savings. If you review some policy, at this age, the president is still talking about 1G1F. There are about 100 districts in Ghana. You cannot boast of a single one district, one factory. This was not the promise. They are all again concentrated in Tema. He spoke about a tax exemption bill, which bill he brought in 2017, abandoned it until last uh, uh, session of parliament when it was brought back. So we are in crisis. Ghanaians expected President Nanadu Dankwa to be telling them what plans he has to reduce prices of fuel, what plans he has to reduce prices of goods and services. He's blaming market women. They simply are recovering costs. I mean, this is the first time we are seeing government chase motor riders in the name of black marketing of forex. How does that soar up your forex returns when you chase people in the black market uh, for engaging in legal or illegal forex? When all was well, did you chase them? There's simply something fundamentally wrong with the Ghanaian economy. And I believe that the president must accept full responsibility. To the now, ha- some of the promises he made, I mean, about uh, companies uh, uh, having their forex domiciled in banks, he didn't really indicate for how long and for what period. Are they already not doing that? And then what is his consequence on the attraction of foreign direct investment into Ghana? But let me hear you. Thank you. Yes, I was going to say that you lament the the debt situation. And uh, for critics who are observing and for people who know the law, they'll remind you that it's a House of Parliament that approves every single loan of the government. You, especially the one in the minority, which also has a boosting power now because of your hung parliament nature. You should take the blame that this is Umar Rusanda. You should take the blame, Honorable. Oh, Umar, Umar, apologies. Yes, it's fine. Umar, remember, remember, even when they brought the last one billion, we blocked it as a minority. I led the way. I said that that was not sustainable. Remember, even after now, they haven't come back with the 250 million dollars additional because I said it was expensive. That's the role I was expected to play as minority leader. Don't forget, I don't have absolute numbers. Go back to the, my opening remarks when Parliament started. I said there must be a ceiling to our national debt. I was even more friendly. I said, let's peg it that no president or no government will go beyond 70% of GDP. Please check the record. I have lived my talk 
but I'm constrained sometimes because I just simply don't have the numbers to deal with many of those uh, situations. So to say that the minority should be blamed, read, read again, even my contribution to the 2021 budget statement. Those were my words. The country is tottering at the precipice of bankruptcy, unquote. It was to send a signal to them. But, you know, they came back again with their numbers, and then got those things approved. So to want to add the minority to this uh, argument, in my view... Uh, it's far-fetched. But, but Parliament as an institution then can be blamed for the problems of the executive. Absolutely. That, Absolutely. that would be a fair that, comment that, to make. Talking that about I your numbers you. then, uh, you have been marshalling your numbers to remove the Minister of Finance. How far have you gone with that campaign? Uh, Omar Sander, I'm invoking Article 82 of the 1992 Constitution which gives Parliament the mandate and authority to censure a minister if the minister's performance is not above board. The performance of the current Minister of Finance, Ken Ufariata, leaves much to be desired. And we are proceeding further. I know that I do not have the numbers to meet the threshold of two-thirds majority, which may be about 183 votes. But I was encouraged when my colleagues on the other side of the aisle indicated that we share the same position and we're at a day on the matter. I'm not too sure they have consulted their constituents as to their next course of action. But if they consult their constituents very well, they will stand strongly with us. I mean, anywhere in the world, you cannot run this economy aground. You cannot range this economy when even prices of salt for the first time in many years have gone up. Prices have doubled. People are struggling to leave. People have lost value because their purchasing power have been eroded by unacceptable levels of uh, inflation. And just that requires that Parliament takes action. So, Omar Sander, again, it's not going to be a failure of the minority, but a failure of parliament. If we fail to act for the people of Ghana and to hold the Honorable Minister for Finance responsible. We wish you all the best on your efforts as a house to help us get out of the economic quagmire. Thank you for speaking to us, Honorable. Omar Sanda, thank you very much. That's the minority leader in the House of Parliament and MP for Tamale South, the Honorable Haruna Idris. So this is Eyewitness News on 97.3. CTFM, we are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. It's now time for the business segment on Eyewitness News, and then we have Point Blanc coming up next. Please stay with us. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3, Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973, and Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973 with the hashtag Eyewitness News. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Nettie Nettie. Let's settle for the details. 
The Ghana Union of Traders Association, Guta, has reiterated calls for government to review the country's investment laws. This, the association believes, will help curb the high rate of importation of goods. The association's call comes on the back of President Akufado's announcement that governments will be implementing measures to reduce the country's dependence on imported goods and enhance our self-reliance as part of its Ghana Beyond Aid agenda. President of Guta, Dr. Joseph Obing, has been speaking to City Business News. We have been talking about excessive importation. We do agree with that, that there's too much uh, importation in this country. And that our share, the local share, is quite negligible as compared to what um, the foreigners are bringing in, especially China more. So all that we are saying is that we should use our investment laws to control the uh, excessive importation. It's as simple as that, that we should be able to revise investment laws to drive these foreigners into manufacturing, agriculture, and more productive areas than that of trading. Is it too much to ask for? And this is what we are talking about. We are also saying that they don't bring in anything. The investment law just uh, requires the evidence of uh, one million worth of goods and presto, they are there trading. This is not fair to the nation. It means that they bring all these uh, millions of millions of dollars of goods dump here in the country and all that they do is to exchange for the forest. That was the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Guta, Dr. Joseph Obing. The Food and Drugs Authority, FDA, is cautioning the public to be on the alert for unwholesome products as they shop for Christmas. The authority has subsequently provided guidelines for consumers to avoid buying expired or unwholesome products. Here's the head of communications and public relations with the FDA, Rhoda Apia, speaking to City Business News. When you are buying any prepackaged product, you need to look, especially if it's in a tent, you need to inspect it properly, make sure it is not bloated or there's no dent at all on it. This is important because when the can is bloated or dented, there's a likelihood that there might have been some microorganic uh, organisms at play because the quality might have been compromised because there is some space in it that has started. The sellers will tell them, oh, this is nothing, it's just a dent, it's just a blue. But definitely it means that poor handling has taken place and therefore we cannot guarantee the safety or the quality of the product when they are consumed. Again, we wish remind them that they will have to refrain from products that are overly exposed or like sold out under the direct sun, especially when they are liquid and all that, there is a very strong likelihood that the product itself would have gone through so much changes as a result of the heat that it's been exposed to. So the drinks, the fizzy drinks we have, the canned drinks, do not have to be in the in the way of the direction. Thirdly, we want to tell consumers to avoid products that have based or worn out date marking. Sometimes when the dates are getting closer and all that, some sellers try to clean it up or get them a bit defaced or they sometimes even doctor the date. For consumers, when we see that these date markings are not clear, it's a, it's a cause for worry and therefore they do not have to buy them. That was the head of communications and public relations at the Food and Drugs Authority, Ruda Apia. The Ghana National Gas Company says it is working with its partners to ensure that the 
components that make up the price buildup of liquefied petroleum gas is looked at critically to ensure it does not burden consumers. This comes on the back of the hikes in the prices of goods and services despite the economic challenges confronting the country. Chief Executive Officer of the State Agency, Dr. Benjamin Asante, made a revelation to the media on the sidelines of the gas challenge. We have, we've got two sources of LPG, one that is imported and one that actually comes from Ghana gas. The split, I think, about 50-50. So 50% imported and then about 50% being generated at our facilities over at Atwabo. When you look at the cost, the price builder of LPG, it is not just the commodity. It is the transportation. Of course, um, you have things like the LPG loading country, which also attracts its own cost. And we are working with our partners to make sure that each of these components of the price builder, including even the commodity, which comes from Ghana gas and also those who import, we are reduced. And in the not too distant future, I think you're going to see that. Remember that these are guided also by cost, I mean, international cost. But we would look at what we can do locally. That was the Chief Executive Officer of the Ghana National Gas Company, Dr. Benjamin Atsanti. Players in the hospitality industry are calling for a reduction in utility tariffs to enable them thrive under the current economic situation in the country. The Public Utilities Regulatory Commission had in September increased electricity and water tariffs by about 27% and 21% respectively. This sector players lament is further worsening their plight as they struggle to stay afloat amid a challenging economy. Speaking to City Business News on the sidelines of the National Customers' Choice Awards Ghana, General Manager for Usbet Hotel Robert Mesa added that reviewing the utility tariff would help reduce the cost of operations of hoteliers in the country. Strongly, we need the government to support us when it comes to the utilities. We feel that the government should be able to give us a separate rate. So for hotels, when it comes to electricity rate, we should not be paying what the normal commercial rates are. Uh, there should be a special one to just keep the industry going. If you look at the fact that the industry just suffered from the COVID-19 uh, pandemic globally, and in Ghana we're hardly hit. And then just when we are recovering, now we have difficult times. So we are trusting that the government can probably come in and say, that, look, for hotels, let's give them this special risk so that they can still stay afloat, keep the workers still at post, and make sure that the industry continues to thrive. That was the general manager for Usbeth Hotel, Robert Mensah. And that's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Netelinetti. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens.
This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Omaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we go back to the House of Parliament where there is a demand for the removal of Ken Ofuriata. There are two, uh, two groups in Parliament, the majority group and the minority group. The minority group wants Ken Ofuriata removed through a parliamentary process described or prescribed under the Constitution. The majority group also wants Ken Ofuriata removed, except that they want that removal triggered by the president who appointed him. Either way, there's a demand for the removal of Ken Ofriata as Minister of Finance. Now, today there was a debate on the floor of Parliament. It has to do with the procedure and whether or not Ken Ofriata should be given a hearing first. Deputy Majority Leader Alexander Penyomakin is the one who raised this issue, among others, and that became a subject of a debate and the Speaker made a decision. Let's listen to what transpired. I wanted to come under Order 72, you know, to draw your attention to some procedural issues so that, if possible, as a House, we could be guided by these issues when it becomes ripe for consideration. Mr. Speaker, my point is that if you look again critically at the motion, and this is a repeat application anyway. If you look critically at the motion, it contains some ex-cathedral matters. The motion paper contains some ex-cathedral matters, Mr. Speaker. These ex-cathedral matters cannot be seen to be matters grounded in fact. And upon careful perusal of their constitution, there is a provision under the Article 82 which requires the minister to be heard in his defense. Mr. Speaker, my issue is if the finance minister elects to bring a council to respond on his behalf, which is his constitutional bona fide. What do we do? Because, Mr. Speaker, under contempt proceedings, under contempt proceedings, we have discussed. Yes. Mr. Speaker, they always want to divert attention. There's, there's a, an important matter has been raised. Let's finish with that, then we can deal with escatibra issues. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, the question is, if the Minister of Finance elects to exercise his rights under the Constitution to employ the services of counsel, how do we treat it as a house? Mr. Speaker, it is his right and his far right. And I'm drawing our attention to it so that on the day we don't meet our coup de sac. Because, Mr. Speaker, under our own jurisprudence on contempt, we allow the contemnor, the respondent contemnor, to be represented by counsel. And we are precedents in that. Because he is entitled to be heard. Right to fair hearing is a sinocodon thing. You cannot take it away from a respondent in a matter. So, Mr. Speaker, this advert here, there is good reason why the proponent of the Constitution said we should put it on notice. 
And it is good we've done that. Whilst it is yet to be mature, my view is, as a house, we should look at all the roadblocks and appropriately address them before the day comes. You and I are aware that even when questions are filed, and Mr. Speaker admits, upon the question being admitted, there is a transmission administratively to the minister concerned, which enables him to come. Here we are. We have mounted a serious matter as A serious matter as And the applicants have not served him, neither have they supported their motion with the basis upon which they mount the application, except to advertise some ex-cathedral matters. So all I am saying as a house, Mr. Speaker, all I am saying, no, no, I'm not going into that, Mr. Speaker's ruling. This is another angle I am, I am looking at. It. The last time I didn't raise the issue of Article 14. And colleagues, let's be careful here. Today, today, it may be you. And you may think it's okay. But if we agree on the rules of procedure in um, dealing with this matter, posterity will come and judge all of us. It could be Harun Edrusu tomorrow being a minister of state. It could be Eric Opoku as a minister of state in a future government. We don't know when. And Mr. Speaker, when that time comes, Eric Opoku will have a legitimate expectation that he must be heard because constitutionally he must be heard. Mr. Speaker, I do not think, I do not think that we should allow this to remain in our other paper. The 14 days come, it becomes ripe for hearing, and then on that day, people are holding their documents, you know, and arguing, and then you expect the minister to respond for us to vote on it, which will make him lose his office? No. I believe that, I believe that even as a house, we should, we should have copies of all the grounds upon which you rely. No. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, I believe that as a house, every member in this chamber must have a copy of all the legal grounds upon which you mount this application. Two. The, uh, the respondent himself must be said. Three, should the respondent respond by saying that he elect to have a council to represent him? Are we going to allow that council in the dispatch box? Or we are going, because the council will come in as a stranger at the plenary. Or we are going to have a closed session to hear him. These are matters that, Mr. Speaker, are very critical that we should look at so that we don't create a certain impression that censure, as provided for in the Constitution, is a trivial matter. It is not. The notice for the motion has been signed. We have duly signed it. The motion shall be debated in Parliament within 14 days. Mr. Speaker, I have between today and 10th November to move the motion, and I will move the motion. I will move the motion for the censure of the Honorable Minister for Finance, Honorable Ken Ofuriata.
those like-minded persons who will dance with us, Mr. Speaker, they will be welcome in the secret door. I told the majority leader that I can understand his situation. He is confronted with the witch's dance. If he dances forward, the mother dies. He goes backward, the father dies. He himself knows that the Honorable Minister for Finance is not performing and cannot perform and cannot deliver us out of the economic woes. But the witch's dance, he doesn't want to be seen trying to torpedo the man to act as Minister for Finance. But we may get there. He will go and someone will act. I've asked him. He says commitment that the man will go after budget and he will go after IMF. Do you know when the IMF negotiations will end? And after budget, we know, 31st December, bring a formal commitment. Bring a formal commitment telling this House that the Honorable Minister for Finance will, by 31st December, bow out in conscience that he has trashed the Ghanaian economy. But, Mr. Speaker, as for this motion, as for this motion, I am determined so long as I live and I'm alive. And I've issued a nine line with three by three times three. All my members, even if we are defeated on this motion, we will be defeated in honor and in dignity, standing with the Ghanaian people who are suffering the economic mismanagement and the economic incompetence of Ken Ufuriata. Ordinarily, he should not even wait for this house to censure him. Ordinarily. Ordinarily. Gallantly, home. Ah, even salt, the price of salt have gone up. Mr. Speaker, salt. Mr. Speaker, so Speaker ruled, and I think that we should stand by the Speaker's uh, ruling. As for Deputy Leader, oh, I have good intelligence on you. Ask Leader, when I frighten him small at business committee, you people somersault. You somersault again. Thank you, Mr. Speaker the minority leader that once the speaker has admitted the motion it is a competent motion before the house I would have thought that such motions would pass through the usual channels the business committee for us to program scene but the business committee doesn't do anything about it it appears somebody is sitting somewhere and directing affairs that this should, should go to <laughs> some unseen hand but, Mr. Speaker, I agree with him that it is a competent motion before the House. And in the fullness of time, whatever must be done to it, will be done to it. Mr. Speaker, the minority leader is insistent that where we are, we are um, in a witch's dance, if we dance forward, we may lose our father. If we dance backwards, we may lose our mother. Mr. Speaker, who tells him that we cannot dance laterally or horizontally without, without going forward or, or, or coming backwards. Who tells him that? He must define his coordinates well. To the extent that we have a backwards dance and a forward dance, it's a lateral dance and a horizontal, a horizontal dance. He must be aware of that. Just because the minority leader is saying that he, he wants some assurance that maybe the finance minister may be on the 31st of December. And if he has that assurance, he may think that uh, it may not then be necessary to pursue this. It's a window of opportunity that is creating. Just because we, we, are, we, are, we are in dialogue, we are talking, we are trying to see the best way forward. And so we continue to dialogue.
Having said so, Mr. Speaker, I think the, the point, and let me, let me admit that we are not there yet, that is beginning the debate on this. If I had the deputy leader work, is raising a principle and indeed a fundamental issue that, yes, as the minority leader is indicating, per Article 82 of the Constitution, the motion shall be debated in Parliament within 14 days after the receipt by the Speaker of the notice of the motion. And four says a Minister of State, in respect of whom a vote of censure is debated under Clause 3 of this article, is entitled during the debate to be heard in his defense. And he's saying that if the minister elects to be represented by a council, what happens? Because that council cannot be heard in plenary. I think it's the issue that he's raising. The Speaker, you would just oppose this with the provision in Article 69, Clause 7 of the Constitution which is on the removal of the president. Now, in respect of that, 7 provides that is if a motion should come to parliament for debate against the, pres the president, there the constitution provides the president shall be entitled during the proceedings of the tribunal or the medical board to be heard in his defense by himself or by a lawyer or other expert or person, as the case may be. That is, you are talking about, um, you know, the, the motion having been occasioned by uh, health considerations. But if, if it has to be, you know, before any commission, the president must be heard and be heard by himself or by lawyer. Mr. Speaker, indeed, Article 12 of the Constitution also provides, and 12.1 says, the fundamental human rights and freedoms enshrined in this chapter, fundamental human rights, including the right to be heard, and the right to be heard by the person himself or through a lawyer. 12.1 says, the fundamental human rights and freedoms enshrined in this chapter shall be respected and upheld by the executive, the legislature, and the judiciary. So we are, we are bound. We are bound to accord this right to anybody who is accused. That is the point that is being made by, by the deputy leader. So it's a distinction with a difference. And I thought that should be registered. The speaker, but... I'm aware that the speaker has already given a direction on this one, on this, that we should, you should stand this down, I think, until he returns. And it's coming on the 9th, and it's been programmed for us to make progress on this on the 10th. Let's wait until the speaker comes. However, there are matters that are very germane that should concern all of us. That's the point being raised by the deputy majority leader. And I think it, it contains profound sense that indeed should offer itself to us for consideration. Mr. Speaker, thank you very much. Majority leader, for your submission, of course I appreciate your advocacy. 
but uh, uh, the issue regards to the essential motion has already uh, been discussed. At that time, last week I was here when you raised these same issues, and Mr. Speaker ruled that the motion was proper. So I think uh, there's nothing, you yourself even say you are not raising this issue to reverse what Mr. Speaker has said. So I think we will patiently wait till the uh, motion matures and see what unfolds uh, that day. So that's the decision of the second Deputy Speaker of Parliament, Andre Siamamuako, upholding an earlier ruling of the Speaker of Parliament, Abansumana Kingsford Bagbin, on the vote of censure motion that has been brought before the House by the minority seeking to remove the Minister of Finance, Ken Oforiata. That's how we end tonight's edition of Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sanda Amadou, production by Sixtus Don Ulo, Beverly London, and Fred Tete Jaban, as well as Ni Lati Lati. We return um, tomorrow at 17.30 GMT with the latest in the world of news here on 97.3 CTFM. The technical support came through from Daniel Squashy. Have a good night. City News. We speak first. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM and on Twitter at City 973.